Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, we're ending the year, 2023, on the way out. I'm Charlie Gibson. This is The Bookcase, and The Bookcase, Kate, is getting rather full. It is getting rather full. I'm Kate. Hi, I'm the daughter part. And so because you have been such a diehard, dedicated listener, you have now been a listener for 19 months. Yep. 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 19 months heading into 2024. We have a great way of ending the new year, which is a really interesting novel called All the Little Bird Hearts. Yeah, but don't end the new year yet. We're ending the old year. We're ending the old year. <laughs> Whatever. I've heard it said both ways. We're everywhere. I don't know. It's 20. 2026. No, but we've had, I think we've had really 52 very interesting programs, and I think this is going to be as interesting as any of them. Mm. The book today is All the Little Bird Hearts, and it is written, set in 1988, and it is set then because it is about a woman who is autistic. The narrator. Mm -hmm. The narrator. Mm -hmm. But the term autism was not heavy in the usual parlance. And people didn't know really what autism was. So she never actually uses the word autism in the book as pertains to her protagonist. But you realize as you go on that she is an autistic mother. And in some ways, I think the fact that she says this in the 1980s means that we as readers are forced to or asked to, not forced to, explore Sunday's autistic spectrum with her because there's a lot she doesn't know. Victoria Lloyd Barlow, I think, writes beautifully about being a mother. I know the narrator's perspective is as an autistic mother. And a big part of this book is, as an autistic mother, do I offer the emotional tools to allow my child to grow up and get launched into the world successfully? Do I offer her, quote unquote, enough? I think that's the narrator's perspective. Do I offer her enough? And I think in some ways, that is a universal experience of motherhood which is, do I offer enough to my child? Yes, before we go on, we should mention that Victoria Lloyd Barlow, the authoress, yes. is herself. Yes. Is herself autistic. Yes. I think an, an enormous feat that she has pulled off in writing such a wonderful book, exploring those feelings of what it means to be a mother being autistic and what kind of support you can give your child. The interesting part to me is you took this book as basically about motherhood yes. and about being a mother and the universality of that feeling. I was more interested in the autistic aspects as pertains to Sunday, who is the principal character. And although, again, the narrator comes at it from a specific perspective, she talks about two themes of motherhood to which I bring great anxiety, which is one, when your child is born, they think you hung the moon and you can answer every question in the world. And when they realize you can't answer every question in the world, and by God, you're human and you make mistakes just like they do, are they still going to like you? Are they still going to admire you? Are they still going to love you? But also, I think every parent raises a child so that they may ultimately walk away from them and be independent and gain their own life. And that, to me, is a terrifying prospect. There's the one 
passage. They're sitting there, the, the mother and daughter. The, the narrator's name is Sunday. Her daughter's name is Dolly. They're watching TV together. And the mother looks at her daughter and she says, in only two more years, she would doubtless be different again and living away at university. She discarded the versions of herself with an ease I could not share. I wished her unchanged and unchanging and solemnly mine in all that once tiny perfection for we had formed each other once out of nothing. And I remained constant while she regularly transformed, dancing further out of reach with each alteration. That is sort of how I feel about motherhood. I feel like I had my daughter and I'm in the same place and my daughter and my son are becoming different people every five years, every 10 years. Are they still gonna like me as those changes occur? Am I still gonna like them? as those changes occur? Yes, you will. (laughs) (laughs) Says dad, because he raised all the children in the world and he knows this for a fact. No, I think parents have an undying love of their kids. They do. I have heard friends of mine say, of course, I'm not going to call you out, but I have had friends of mine say, you know, over wine at the end of an evening, I love my kid 950%. I just don't like them very much right now because they're going through a phase right now, or maybe they don't like me right now, or maybe they're trying to do things. Maybe they're trying to say I'm rebelling against you a little bit so that I can express my independence. I worry about those things. What strikes me is what you just talked about. Dolly, the daughter, is changing all the time, Mm -hmm. but mom can't change. And that creates the dynamic of the book, which I think is fascinating. We have been talking about all the little bird hearts since we both read it. And it really does excite thoughts in your mind that, that, that do apply to autism, that do apply to, to neurotypicality. Is there such a word? And Victoria Lloyd Barlow has written a book that really will not only entertain you as a reader, but that will get you thinking. Mm. So we did have a chance to talk to her. It was, a we thought, a very interesting conversation. She's English, as you will be able to tell quickly from her <laughs> accent. But as I say, has written a terrific book. So here is our conversation after we have prattled on far too long. <laughs> our conversation with Victoria Lord Barlow. Victoria Lloyd Barlow, it is a pleasure to have you in the bookcase. When I picked up this book, not certain whether I would read it, I saw right on the back cover, it said, this is a glimpse into the mind of an autistic woman and a remarkable debut by an author who is herself autistic. And I thought, what a fascinating book. Tell me what inspired you to write it and how you did it. I had quite a non-traditional journey to academia, but I left school without taking any exams at 16 And the school never really suited me. But then when my own children started school, I decided to go back and get a degree. So I went to university and got my English degree. And that went really well. So I took a master's and then ended up doing a PhD. I was planning to do a PhD in Italian studies. But then the idea for this book came to me. And I wrote this book as part of my PhD thesis. And then towards the end of my PhD, I got an agent and was just really lucky that I had this great agent who found me a publisher and it was all very unexpected but yeah it's been really exciting I've really enjoyed the whole process but it wasn't a plan I was really just doing a PhD I wasn't really writing a book and it just it just turned out to be a book which was a really a really nice surprise at the end of it. I want to talk to you about the title Bird Hearts You quote, at one point, you say that birds are generally banned from the Sicilian household because they're believed to bring the evil eye. What is the theme of the bird hearts and how does it sort of go throughout the novel? For me, when I was writing, 
I was thinking about the Larson trap, which is kind of at the centre of the book. And the Larson trap is a device that gardeners used to use to prevent their gardens from becoming overcrowded by particular birds who are considered a pest because they eat other birds' eggs. So they'd put a magpie in this trap and then that magpie would live there for as long as it lived in the trap and it would call other magpies down. And when other magpies came down to investigate, they'd fall into the trap and be trapped themselves. And then the gardeners would kill them and they'd leave the original magpie standing there calling the birds on and on. And I saw this in someone's garden once and they described it to me and I found it so peculiar again. And I was thinking about the characters in the book as being like that original magpie that they call people down. And because they're charming and they sound beautiful, Mm. people come closer to investigate and then they fall in. And the bird just carries on singing even while his peers are falling around him. He just carries on singing more birds down. So I found that quite a haunting image and... I put it in the book with the idea that it would call to mind a couple of the characters who have the same thing. They have the same beautiful song and they use it in a cruel way, like the magpie in the trap. So Vita and Rolo, who are the two seductive neighbors, the friendship that our narrator has with these two people, they are in a sense the original magpies. Yeah, for me, they're the magpies. And to a lesser extent, I think the king who's Sunday's ex-husband, is also one. Mm. I think readers can decide who they think in the book for themselves has a bad heart. You set the book in 1988, before autism was really part of our vocabulary and our knowledge about the condition. I'm curious, why did you do that? I did that because I wanted Sunday, who's the autistic character, to come to understand herself entirely through her own filter and not have that narrative in any way distracted by current thinking and current language around autism. I think a lot of the current theories around autism are built by neurotypical people for whom it's an industry and that's not always helpful to autistic people and their families and I wanted the voice at the centre to be entirely authentically autistic and not not influenced by current theories about autism. So it was really important to me that Sunday understood herself through herself rather than through a neurotypical filter of what autism is. Mm -hmm. And being in the 1980s was really helpful for that because she was able to exist outside that current way of thinking. She never uses the word autism. Would the book have been different if you had said it today? It would have been completely different. I don't think Sunday would have found the peace and the positive self-regard that she finds at the end of the book in the 1980s. I don't think she could have found that in if it had been set in the current day, because the way we think about autism, the way we talk about it, the language we have, it's all quite problematic currently. I feel it was better for Sunday to understand herself through her own prism rather than through the neurotypical version of autism, because that's the language, the narrative that we have now is it's very much that autism is a broken way of being neurotypical. I wanted Sunday to come to understand that her condition is specific to her and it's not a failure of being neurotypical. It's that she's marvellous at being autistic. It's just a very different attitude. 
One of Sunday's lifelines, one of the ways that she relates to the world is this book of etiquette, this book of manners. It's, it seems to be one of the ways that she reads the world outside her. Is that typical? And you can only speak to your own perspective, I know. But do folks sometimes in the autistic community draw themselves to those books on social norms to relate to the world around them? Yeah, thanks, Kate, for pointing out that I really am speaking just for my own experience. And I hope autistic listeners will recognize some of the things I'm saying, but also will understand that I can only speak from my experience. I think being autistic, often as autistic people, we don't have that intuitive way of socializing and connecting with people. So the way that we understand people is more cerebral and more a way of thinking than a feeling. So the way we respond to people tends to be, I mean, that's why autistic people often find it quite exhausting to be in company for long periods because it's quite hard work. It's, it's an academic process rather than an intuitive thing. I would say not that we have any lack of feeling or any different kind of emotions, but just that the way that we connect with people, especially people we don't know well, would be much more an intellectual process than an intuitive process. It's a cliche question, I guess, and therefore I always hate to ask it. But it's, I think, <laughs> but I think it's very apt in this case. As I read this, I kept thinking, to what extent is this autobiographical for Victoria? To what extent is Sunday Forrester Victoria herself? I think in those moments where Sunday feels isolated, there's definitely some personal writing in there in the way that it can be more difficult to connect with people and to understand how they're feeling toward you. So there is that kind of time delay when you're connecting with people. And as I said earlier, because you're thinking about it in an intellectual way, it's a different connection that you make with people, especially when you're getting to know somebody. So there's definitely elements of myself in that. And I really wanted to write about motherhood. And I'm a mother myself, but I'm married with a huge family. So Sunday's experience is very different in that regard. I think there's definitely commonalities, but I specifically put Sunday in a family position that was very different to my own to create that distance because I didn't want it to be completely an autobiographical process. Although though we do have things in common, her situation is very different to mine. I felt when I was reading this book, a lot of dread. I'm going to lose my kids. Every mother loses their kids. But in some ways, the losing of Dolly in this book is bigger, I think, because Sunday feels like there's something she can't offer Dolly in order to launch her into adulthood. How much of your anxiety of being a mother, and again, I'm speaking from a woman who doesn't struggle with autism, who is already incredibly anxious about her children. How do you, I mean, how do you deal with that anxiety and how much of this book was you working out that anxiety? Yeah, I think, as you say, that's the universal fear and we all feel it in different ways. So I think we probably all feel it specifically around our weaknesses. I think everyone has that experience of their children getting older and looking at you as a person. And when they're little, they look at you as their mother who knows everything and you know why the sky is blue and you have the answer to everything they ever ask. And whatever you tell them is the right answer. But then they get older and they look at you differently and they suddenly see that you're a person with your own problems and your own difficulties and you don't know the answer to everything. And you hope that by the time you come to that stage that you're bonded enough that they'll still like you 
even when they know you're not the center of the universe. <laughs> and I think that's a really universal fear that parents have that when they see me as a human, will they still like me and love me then? I think for Sunday especially, it just happens that her weakness, as far as she sees it, is that she's not particularly charming. She's not exciting in the way that a teenage girl would look for excitement. And she knows that Vita is these things. So in some ways, she wants to employ Vita to call her daughter closer to her by being that person, that she can't be herself. But in other ways, you know, she comes to lose her through that as well. So it's a double-edged thing. But I think it's very universal. It happens that for Sunday it's her autism, but I think it's a universal feeling that mothers have. You, In an interview I saw you referred to the joys of the condition of autism. I thought that was really an interesting phrase, the joys of the condition. And Sunday in the book says, I did like my life and I did not want to live like Vita. Everything came effortlessly to them and was therefore replaceable and without value. What are the joys of the condition? Well, it's really important to me that I don't minimize the challenges of the condition. So when I talk about the joys, it's very much with the balance of acknowledging the struggles and the difficulties that people have. But I think it's such a unique way to view the world and we have such a different perspective. And hopefully for readers of the book, they'll see that throughout the book. I'm blown away in the book, and my father and I talked about this, at Sunday, your narrator's capacity to forgive. She has to forgive a lot of people for bumping up against her wrong and misunderstanding her and not taking the time to understand her. Do you feel like as a woman who faces the world with autism that you have to have a very large capacity for forgiveness? Yes, I think as a parent to autistic children and as an autistic person myself, yeah, I have to call on those empathic skills every day that people often think autistic people don't have. Um, just to remind myself mm. that neurotypical people are experiencing the world in a very different way to me. And although it's that majority narrative, that dominant narrative, they're still coming at things from a very different perspective than I am. And I'm sure all mothers who have to speak for their autistic children will understand and empathise with that, that ability that you need to develop to protect your children and get them out in the world safely and get them the support they need. I think all parents of autistic children and autistic people, you know, we're kind of called on to do that every day. And that's something we have to accept. I'm always interested in how a writer feels about her own characters. And as I read this, I gained a great affection for Sunday. I really, really liked her and empathized and sympathized, I guess. How did you feel about her? I felt that I wanted Sunday to be a character that the reader would want to side with and understand. And I was aware when I was writing that it might be quite demanding for a reader to really empathise and understand a woman who's so different than women generally are in novels. So I understood that I was asking something from the reader. So I'm really grateful and really glad whenever I hear that Sunday's resonated with somebody and that a reader has found that they cared about her or about the outcome to her at the end. That was my main challenge throughout the book, was presenting Sunday in an authentic way 
in an honest way and not making her cutely appealing or quirky in an, an attractive way. I wanted her just to be very authentic seeming to me and she was. And so my gamble was then, will readers care about a woman who isn't trying to please them in any way, but is being entirely herself in a very complicated and messy way? So I'm just, I'm really happy that any readers feel fond of Sunday or are hoping for the best for her. That's, that was really my main intention in the book. I loved your answer about how you felt about Sunday. How'd you feel about Dolly? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, that is a complex question. (laughs) I think motherhood is so complicated. And when I read characters where the teenage children are just these perfect, loving people, it never sits right with me. So I wanted to show the reader that Dolly was this complicated, not always kind person, but that Sunday would keep loving her because... I was demonstrating more something about Sunday's heart than about Dolly's. And I wanted Mm. to show how whatever Dolly did or said, Sunday would carry on loving her and would also want to carry on loving her. So she would enjoy still being a mother, even if Dolly tried to take that away from her. It didn't work because Sunday was still a mother. So I think by making Dolly unkind, it was just a demonstration of strength in Sunday, really. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Rapid fire questions for Victoria Lloyd Barlow. Victoria, is there another author who is autistic or on the spectrum that you admire and that we should know about? Can I give you two? Please. Okay, so there's a comedian in the UK called Fern Brady, and she's written a great memoir about being autistic, and it's so honest and funny and female, and I think everyone should read that, um, regardless of whether you're interested in autism or not. It's just a brilliant, funny book. And Holly Smale, who writes a lot of young adult fiction, she writes Geek Girl, which will be out on Netflix soon as a series, and she's also written The Cassandra Complex. But being autistic herself, she brings life to the characters in such a different way. And I really admire her writing and her work. 
How did you find out you were on the long list for the booker? And what did you do when you found out? So my agent called me and I'd just got home from work and I was in the car and I took the call in the car and then my husband came out and I told him and we were planning to go to the garden center after work so we just went anyway and I was just really in complete shock <laughs> it wasn't something I'd expected or ever thought ne- never even thought about it so I was just in complete shock really and yeah it was really nice after it was just a really great day was it champagne was it just whoops of pleasure was it dancing around the house what was it or was it we're going to buy these high-end gardening shears now at the store as opposed to the cheaper (laughs) ones because you can probably do this for a living (laughs) no it was actually we bought a plant a big plant and we planted it when we got home and we called it the booker plant and now we can see it from the kitchen and we call it the Booker plant. So my husband will say, oh, look, the Booker plant is growing really well. And that's what we call it now. <laughs> that was how we celebrated. <laughs> I read that when you wrote this book, you could only write in sort of isolated periods, depending on your availability. So now that you've ended up on the list and you're working more, are you writing every day? Um, no, I'm working full time. So I don't currently have any time at all to write. Two of my children have left home, but I've still got three children at home and a full-time job. And I hope one day I'll be able to write again, but currently I have to work a full-time job and it's just not a possibility. Gotcha. If my reading of the timing is correct, you knew you were one of the finalists for the Booker Prize before the book actually came out, which was early in December. So were you anxious when you read the reviews or did you know... Hey, I've already got this Booker Prize thing in my back pocket. I don't need to worry about you reviewers. (laughs) Well, my book came out in the UK in March. So I've been seeing reviews since then over here. Ah, ah. And it's been an interesting process, actually. Some of the reviews are amazing. And I think people have all kind of insights that I'm impressed by. And you also, as a writer, you have to understand that I didn't write it for everyone. Not everyone's going to love this book, and that's fine as well. I would never think differently about my writing because I was longlisted for the booker. I know there's problems with it and faults in it regardless of that. So it was a really nice moment to have that book, a longlisting, but it hasn't made me less critical. If anything, I'm more critical of my writing now that I have all these responses and reviews. Yeah, it definitely doesn't bring you a security of feeling about your writing. Or not me, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Most influential book in your life? Most influential writer would be Shirley Jackson, who I'm obsessed with. I love Shirley Jackson, Mm. and I read her all the time, reread her constantly. David Sedaris, I love David Sedaris so much. And the number one book that I would read the most is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which is my favorite book ever. I love that book. Yeah. If you were going to recommend a Shirley Jackson for somebody who was first starting out, which one would you tell them to start with? I mean, any of her short stories, any collection of her short stories. I think Mm. the most famous story she's written, it's called The Lottery. The Lottery, yeah. And that's the most well-known one. But I would say anything she ever wrote would be interesting. Let me ask the influential book question in a different way. If you could have written... Any book in the world, current, past, classic, what would it have been? There's a book by Alan Hollingshurst called The Line of Beauty. And it's not something I would ever have written. And it's about 
an era and a culture that I know nothing really about, but the writing is so beautiful. And often when I read the book, I'm just amazed at the way he puts sentences together. His descriptions are so vivid and lyrical. And every time I read his book, that particular book, I'm just moved by the way he can describe things. Like I have a visceral reaction to the way he writes. A question we took from one of the late night television hosts in the United States. In five words, five words, what would you like the rest of your life to be? I would like to write. I loved this book, All the Little Bird Hearts. I enjoyed it from start to finish. As I say, it captured a universality of motherhood while still offering me an incredibly expanded perspective into your world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sitting with us today and for talking to us. Thank you. It was really lovely to meet you. Thank you. One of the things we didn't talk about leading into our conversation with Victoria Lloyd Barlow was the two people that actually pulled Dolly away from Sunday. Vita and Rolo are their names, and they are very well-to-do. They do not have children, and it is it becomes apparent in this book that they are sort of trying to pull Dolly away from Sunday because they want her as a daughter. So it becomes a little bit of a mystery as well. As I was going through it, Kate, I kept thinking, I don't know how you end this. I don't know how you resolve this. And without getting any kind of a spoiler, as we discussed with Victoria, I think she ends it perfectly. I think she does too, because as much as this is a story about letting go of your kids, and specifically Sunday, this mother, letting go uh, of her daughter, Dolly. It's also, I think, about, it's very much a journey of Sunday finding inner strength and acceptance of love of what she is, and knowing that she offers strength and beauty. There are two things that stay with me from this conversation. One, I think it's worth emphasizing that Victoria Lloyd Barlow wants you to know that the autistic spectrum is an individual experience. There are some folks that are high-functioning, and there are some folks who are nonverbal. The autistic spectrum encompasses a lot of different things. Well, it's obvious that Victoria, as she wrote this, wanted Dolly to be very individual, that this is not a blanket story about autism because mm -hmm. you can't write a blanket story about autism. Mm -hmm. And therefore, she wanted this to be an individual story, not about herself, mm -hmm. as she told us, but about Sunday. And she's, she's written, I think, a terrific novel. Yes, she doesn't want to make blanket statements about people with autism. She doesn't want to make a statement about herself with autism. Um, and I think that's really worth pointing out. I think also, too, what stays with me from this conversation is Sunday, the main character has an incredible capacity for forgiveness. And I get the sense that Victoria Lloyd Barlow and lots of folks on the autistic spectrum have to deal with the world often putting forgiveness first. The world isn't necessarily going to understand what makes them tick. The world isn't necessarily going to take the time to understand what makes them tick. The world isn't necessarily going to slow down to allow them to process the world differently. And so those misunderstandings, those insensitivities, those difficulties that people on the spectrum face, they have to have forgiveness in their hearts, I think, at all time. And that must be very exhausting. That's quite a journey. So I will repeat, this is a very good read. It's a very good novel on its face. But the fact that it addresses the questions of motherhood and the questions of autism, I think, before autism was recognized as a as a condition, I think is really, uh, it's, it's a good way to end the year yes. because it'll, it really will get you thinking about, it stays about a with lot you. of issues. Yeah, it, stays it's, with it stays with you and it stayed with me. We really did appreciate this book. And we also want to end the year in another way as well. I say this a lot. It's difficult to convey. I have the coolest job. 
I really do. I have the coolest job. I read books. I hang out with my father and I talk to my celebrity rock stars, which are authors. So I really do have the coolest job. And and I keep thinking about that line in broadcast news where William Hurt says to Albert Brooks, what do you do when your real life exceeds your dreams? And Albert Brooks goes, keep it to yourself. Well, I'm going to end this show by not keeping it to myself because I owe it to all of you, this job that I have. And I'm so thankful. And I'm thankful that there's somebody other than my mother who listens, although I'm also thankful for my mother. Thank you, mom. And the fact that you guys are responding, that you're reading the books, that you're leaving positive comments, and that authors are saying at the end, boy, that was a fun conversation. It just means the world to me. So thank you so much to the people who make this podcast possible, who we credit at the end, and to all of you who are listening and paying attention. It it means so much. I have a more simple message. I would say ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For for once, I endorse everything that my daughter just said. Me too. I don't normally agree with her to that extent, but I, I do in this case. When people say... We listen each week, or we we really enjoy the podcast. We don't necessarily read all the books, but we enjoy the conversations you have. It means the world. And we love the responses that we get on the various message boards where people can respond to this. So thank you. Thank you for what has been for us a wonderful, wonderful year. We will remind you of the people who make this podcast possible. And at the end, Victoria has a final thought. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year. The Bookcase is a production of ABC Audio in partnership with Good Morning America. It is produced by David Canada in conjunction with Shurkam Productions. Asal Esanapur is our producer. Laura Mayer and Simone Swink are our executive producers. We give special thanks to Taylor Rhodes, Amanda McMaster, and Sarah Russell of Good Morning America, and Josh Cohan, Nania McLean, Vika Aronson, and Brenda Salinas-Baker at ABC Audio. This is when I tell you one direction for your listeners. This would be read more. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.